Hey there, what is up everyone? It is Jeff from Modern Combat and Survival, and welcome to podcast episode number 318. Coming up, I have five quick tips for your gun training that's absolutely going to help you get to the next level in your defensive preparedness. And hey, don't worry about taking notes because we've done all the heavy lifting for you with this week's free show notes and our handy dandy one-page cheat sheet. All you have to do is head on over to www.mcsmagazine.com slash 318 and download it all absolutely free. And now, let's talk tactics. Firearms training, urban survival, close quarters combat. This, this is another podcast to help you better prepare for any threat you may face in your role as a protector and a patriot. This is Modern Combat and Survival. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is Jeff Anderson, editor for Modern Combat and Survival Magazine. And just to give you a quick update, we are coming to the very end of Modern Combat and Survival and getting ready to launch our brand new lifestyle brand at warriorlife.com. Now, it's all coming right up. There's there's only a coming soon message there right now. And for those of you out there that are have been sending in questions about when it's coming or what it's going to be covering, we're going to be we're going to be having more podcasts, more information coming up for you here very very shortly. We were making the transition at the end of this month, and I'm still, fingers crossed, that's still going to happen as of this week, maybe next week. Our podcast is going to start taking a new name. Our video channel is going to take a new name. We've got a lot of stuff coming up for you and a lot more information. And for those of you that do have training products with this as well, whether you have manuals or video courses, Yes, your products are going to be available over into the new system, so don't worry about that. We've got you covered there. We're doing all the final testing. It's all coming up very, very soon. We will keep you up to date and make sure that you have access to everything that you've had from the past, all right? So stay tuned for all of that. Um, the podcast is going to be changing its name, changing our logo, so we're going to be doing a little bit of a... a teaser blip at the beginning of all of our podcasts to make sure that everybody knows that Modern Combat and Survival is going to be coming out with the same type of information that you've relied on us for in the past, but we're going to be going under Warrior Life podcasts here very shortly. So again, stay tuned. All that information is coming up. Just to kind of give you a quick update, the uh, the basically our our superhero headquarters at Warrior Life is really taking form right now. Those of you that are on the advisory team, I've been sending out, I sent out like a video to show you the beginning we're getting the, now all the walls are painted. The floors are coming in now. We are getting the training stations set up now. The martial arts training session or the self-defense training station, the knife throwing station, the firearms training station. We've got all these things that are coming together really, really soon. Um, all the materials are coming in right now. We've got contractors working over there right now. So get ready for a full video crush coming up here very soon with our new format, our new lifestyle brand. I can't wait to show everybody what's going on there. Um, it is going to, we are going to start filming in the middle of October probably is when we're going to start getting more information out for you there, but look for a lot heavier video content production cycle from us than, well, not too hard to make it better from the past because we've not been consistent with that stuff, but we've made a new commitment that we are going all in all video all the time. We've got a lot of stuff coming up for you. A lot of really cool tips. And again, we're featuring you as the stars of the show. So we're going to be putting a lot more of your information out there that we get from comments, tips that we get in so we can highlight those of you out there are fellow warriors that really are making a difference in your own training and want to share those tips with other people around you as well, as well as us creating a community of giving back where everybody's been able to help one another with adding 
different layers to your own personal defensive program, your survival program, your, your self-defense program, you're going to be able to help everybody around you level up and you're going to be able to get help for anything that you need as well. We've got a lot of stuff coming up. Like I said, this is going to be unlike anything else that you've ever seen out there. And I'm really, really excited about it. Um, so again, just a quick update there just to let you know what's going on. All right. Now let's go ahead and jump into this week's show for, uh, for our podcast. Now, this came out of actually, um, I did some training this weekend. There's been a friend of mine, uh, that is, uh, uh, Jeff Johnsgaard from naturaltactical.com. We, we, he's been holding classes for a lot of us that have trained with him in the past. He's been doing just kind of some long distance learning and it's been really amazing. And this really got me thinking about, um, how do, how do people, one of the part of the conversation was about how elite performers in any sport whatsoever, how do they level up their training? How do they become better at their sport, especially if they're at an elite level? And we talked about how this can really even apply to those on a beginner level. And so it really got me thinking, like, we should always be, like, professional athletes should always be looking to level up their training. They should always be trying to progress in what they're doing. And part of that comes from just getting the basics down, right? Like, for example, I always wonder, like, I've always wanted to play the guitar. This has been, this has been something I've struggled with for many, many years. I've had a guitar in my office. It stares at me. You've probably seen videos of me in my office and there's my guitar sitting there. You probably think this guy knows how to play guitar. I really suck at the guitar. I aspire to be a better guitar player. And I always wonder how people out there that actually play like ongoing, how, how do they get that motivation to be able to continue to just pick it up and start doing something? And those are that are, that are elite guitar players. So I like Carlos Santana, an amazing guitar player, right? Well, I wondered, is that something that he just has down? Like, does he pick it up every day? Does he, is it once a month thing? Is it once every couple of months? Like, how are these elite performers in anything that they're doing maintain that elitist and how did they get there to begin with? And it really got us into a conversation about how do we, how do we master basics and how at whatever level you're at, whether you just bought a gun, for example, or you are somebody who is an elite operator, maybe you're law enforcement, maybe you're SWAT, maybe you are in the military. How do elite, maybe you're a competition shooter, right? Those are, those are the guys that are training all the time with it, right? Like how do you continue to up your skills each time? Now, it really got me thinking from a defensive standpoint, like how little everybody trains. And what we found is that very few people ever actually train other than just going to the range, maybe once every couple of months, maybe once a month. If you are kind of an elite trainer, I would almost say there are some of you out there that I know go every single week. But how often do people really train and what kind of skills are you really developing? More importantly, what kind of skills are you retaining? So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but what I want to do is give you five tips here that would allow you, no matter what level you're at, whether you're a complete beginner or whether you are an elite operator, of how you can take your defensive preparedness to the next level. So I have five quick tips here for you that we're going to be able to get to, all right? So tip number one is you have to train for your destination. In order to know what you are trying to achieve or what you're going to train for, you need to know what you're training for. So why do you own a gun? So I'm going to ask that question of you right now. You're listening right now. I want you to really think about this because the real reasons, I mean, you really have to kind of first understand and come to terms with your personal why. So it might just be literally underneath it all just because you feel more machismo having a gun. Maybe it's just the cool thing to do. Maybe it's part of being 
a, a, a protector. Maybe you're a conservative Republican. It's part of being a defender of Second Amendment rights. Like you own a gun and you might even carry a gun because you feel safer having it on you. But you really have to get underneath everything that ever got you to the point where you were handing over money for that gun and find out why do you actually own a gun? And it goes even deeper than that. Now, I'm going to assume right now the purposes of what we're talking about here is that you own a weapon for personal protection because you know that the police are not necessarily going to be there. In fact, most likely they're not going to be there when you and your family are being attacked, right? That's criminals know don't hold somebody up in front of the police station or right where there's a police officer right there. So you're going to be attacked under the worst circumstances possible, and you're not going to have anybody there to help you out. It's going to be you and your weapon. So I'm going to, I'm going to assume that whether it's for home defense or whether you carry a weapon under concealed for concealed carry, that you own a weapon for personal defense. But why? So that's the why. But what is your and your family's biggest threat? So this really forces you to assess your own personal threat matrix, okay? So it might be that you rarely ever leave your home. So are you really practicing for concealed carry, or is your biggest threat, based upon crimes in your area, are home invasions an issue? Are holdups an issue? Is carjacking an issue? What are the biggest threats? Do you even know what the biggest threats are? Are you atta- are you attached online to... Um, to your local law enforcement's crime reports? Do you, are you reading the newspaper? Are you looking these things up? What are the biggest threats in your area? If your biggest threat is home invasion and, and you are practicing for concealed carry, is that really the best thing that you should be practicing for? Or do you and your family need to go over more home defense tactics? Um, if carjackings are a real problem in your area, but you're dealing with stand up, drawing your weapon for parking lot holdup, is that really, is that, is, if it's being done in your local area because there's a string at the red lights, are you practicing from a seated position? So these are going to help to determine what it is that you should be training for to begin with. Okay. It's not going to do you a lot of good to be training for things that you're not actually going to use. A good example is that of that is people that are training for reloads. You might be able to train, you might, you know, it's the cool thing to do, practice, you know, speed, a, a super fast reload of your handgun. But if you don't carry extra ammo, then why are you even practicing reloads, right? So you really need to make sure that you first know what your destination is, know where you're going in order to figure out what you're going to need to be training for, all right? Tip number two is know your current level at that at, at the skill sets that you're going to need. You can't level up if you don't know what level you're currently at. So I like to um, always use ba- uh, basketball. In my in my classes, I like to sh- use basketball as uh, a situation because even if you don't play basketball, it's a really good um, metaphor for bringing in or parallels for bringing in firearms training. So in basketball, I was a really good basketball player in high school, and I did layups and foul shots by the thousands, literally by the thousands. And that was where I started, right-handed layup, left-handed layup doing foul shots from the from the foul line. While other people that were trying they were they were they were following kind of the NBA profile. Like they see they everybody doing jump shots, they were going to do jump shots. So a lot of guys wanted to be able to do jump shots or three-pointers um and instead I was focusing in on the foundations, the layups, the the um because a lot of those because I knew that those jump shots that people were going to be making 
when they miss, I've got to be able to rebound and get that up there really close to the basket. I was using my height. I knew where I was starting from. I had height on my, on my side. And I knew that I was going to be down underneath the basket. So I knew that I was going to be getting these little chip shots in, these little layups in, because I could power my way into the uh, to the basket. And I knew I was going to be fouled. So, look, games are won and lost at the foul line. So I practiced those things incessantly, more than I did jump shots, because I knew I needed that foundation. Now, it's not sexy to practice foul shots. It's not sexy to practice layups. But... You can't get a bullseye shot at 21 yards for you and your handgun if you can't draw your weapon quickly. If you can't hit a target from close in front of you, you're not going to get those long distance shots that I see most people training for down at the gun, down at the, um, the gun range from the seven yards away. And that's where I see people really like they're practicing marksmanship training when really what they're trying to do is get defensive shooting down, right? So you need to know what your current level is at. Are you able to draw a weapon if you're trying to train for concealed carry? Um, if you are trying to practice for home defense, do you have a plan in place there? Are you practicing to be able to use your weapon in low light for a, a nighttime home invasion, for example? Are you practicing for an ambush attack at the door? Those are the types of things you need to know where your current level is at in order to know how you're going to get to your destination. This is going to develop where your skill sets are going to be. Okay. All right. So you know your destination, tip number one. You know your current level. You take an honest assessment of where you're at with there, tip number two. Tip number three is to forget the live fire range. Now, maybe forget is a little bit too strong of a word, but I'm going to say anyway. Forget the live fire range when it comes to leveling up. You are not necessarily going to level up at a very good degree at a live fire range as much as you are being able to get that training in in dry fire. Now, for those of you that are unfamiliar Dry fire is being able to use any sort of a training aid or even your own weapon that is safely unloaded, no ammunition, uh, verified there's no ammunition in your weapon, uh, there's nothing inside of the magazine, it's verified, verified, verified. Some people even go so far as to not even have any live ammunition, even in the same room. Um, you, need, you definitely need to be safe when it comes to dry fire training. So you can use your own weapon. I prefer to use an airsoft gun with a, a gas blowback. I'm not going to go into all the tips on how to get ready for dry fire. Um, there are other podcast episodes that we've done on that. But basically, it's being able to use a weapon without live ammunition, even if that is a dummy training gun, even if it's your fingers for crying out loud. Um, but dry fire is where most of your training should be. We always say that 80% of your training should be done dry fire. Now, even competition shooters will tell you that this is where most of your training is going to be. You can get thousands and thousands of different training scenarios in, in dry fire where, that you're not going to be able to get down at the live fire range. And even more importantly than that, it's hard to really get realistic live fire training down at the gunfire range because of all the limitations that you have. Most ranges are not going to allow you to be able to draw from a holster. You're not able to shoot at a rapid pace any more than, than, uh, than one per second. There are a lot of different, for safety reasons, there are a lot of different limitations that you have at the live fire range. Dry fire, however, it's you and your weapon. You can train all sorts of things there. That is where the bulk of your training should actually be. There's so much you can do with that. And I'll talk about that a little bit more here. But um, just just make sure that you're not using live the live fire range as an excuse to get in more training. Because that brings us to tip number four, which is shorter sessions and higher frequency. Now, this has been shown time and time again that 
with longer training sessions, your brain is not able to absorb all of that information in that time period. You need, in fact, what ends up happening is for long-term retention, you need to be able to have shorter segments of training over a higher frequency of getting the training in. So you are much better at using five minutes every single day to, which is going to be better than like taking a full day tactical course. And you don't want to train any more than 20 minutes. Mind studies have done, brain studies have shown that after 20 minutes, there's a really steep drop off, not a, not a gradual drop off, a steep drop off after 20 minutes of training where your brain is not really holding on to that information. You might be able to fool yourself in thinking that you're still staying focused in on things, but it's really about how you're engaging the brain. Just because you can read something or watch a video after those 20 minutes, it's not about what you're seeing and what you're listening to. It's about how your brain is engaging all of those little neurons in there to be able to create those that long-term memory that's going to make that skill part of your skill set. Instead of that, that, uh, that training just dropping off and not being there for you at that moment of that where you're going to poop your pants because you are, you are being held up, you've got a gun in your face, that's when you're going to need those skills, all right? Less training or, or less uh, less training in one session, but a higher frequency is what's going to tie that all together for you. Now, some tips here to help you accomplish that is the one, schedule your practice sessions. Actually put them in your calendar. Make them part of a habit routine, not just something that you're going to get to once in a while when you think about it, all right? So I like to tell people, like, it's like working out. This is best done early on to make sure that it gets done. So schedule it early on in the day. I like to train first thing in the morning when I'm, when I work out. That is the same time that I practice my, uh, my dry fire sessions so that I know I'm getting it in there. It's done. It's not one of those things that, oh yeah, after work, I'm going to do this. And then all of a sudden I'm tired. I'm brain dead. It's been a long day at work. And the last thing I feel like doing is working out. Now I'm just going to give my body a break, right? So the same thing goes when it comes to your dry fire training. If you're mentally tired, if you're physically tired, that might not be the best time for you to work out on skill practice. Now, there is some advantages to be able to be able to do this stuff because you don't know when you're going to be attacked. It's not like you're going to be attacked when you're bright and bushy-tailed and first thing in the morning. So you might want to get some training in, schedule it in for after work when you are tired or even on the way home from there. There's things that you can do all the time when it comes to so-called training, right? But you want to make sure that you do schedule it in. Get it into your part of your daily habit or your weekly habit. Even if it's three times a week when you train for fitness, you, you throw this in there. Make it something you can actually do, all right? Put it into your schedule. Another tip is to have a dedicated space set aside for your dry fire training, even if that is your bathroom. Even if you make it part of your daily routine, if you're not working out, for example, maybe it's part of your your daily morning hygiene routine. So after you get dressed, you go back in, you're going to go brush your teeth. Before you brush your teeth, you're going to practice your draw stroke in front of the mirror. There are different things that you can do there, but you're going to practice maybe five minutes in there. Schedule, you know, schedule to be able to get ready for work in the morning or your morning routine, your hygiene routine. Add an extra five minutes to it so you can practice things in the mirror where you're looking at a, a live person, you in the mirror being able to see that happening as opposed to a, um, a paper target at down at the live gunfire range that's not moving at all. There are ways that you can make your training more realistic by doing things like this that are actually going to engage the brain more to make those skills part of your long-term memory. 
Now, the best method is to have a dedicated space in your home. We call it a tactical fun house. Um, I have a whole video program on how to build your own tactical fun house in any room of your house or, or how to just turn, trans, quickly transform any room into a tactical fun house and make dry fire training really fun. We have all kinds of drills for this as well. That is a video program that we have. Right now, it is not available to the general public. It is only available inside of our Praxis class, uh, which kind of brings us to our final tip here about, you know, what are you going to train? You know, we talk about these skills and everything. Well, how are you going to how are you going to use those skills or how are you going to train those skills to make them part of your your skill set? And that brings to tip number five, which is to train multiple skills at the same time. Now, this was a big topic in the training that just had with Jeff Johnsgaard this past weekend for a small handful of us that have been getting some long distance training from him. Um, Jeff is an amazing trainer. Um, he is going to be a bigger, a much bigger part of the warrior life uh, community as we go forward here. He is a real brainiac when it comes to this stuff. I'm a real big fan of his, of his work, uh, and his training. I've trained with him personally out on the range and, uh, it's just, it's another level of training there. If you want to check out Jeff's stuff, uh, def definitely got to give him kudos over at naturaltactical.com. Um, you can just take a look at his training schedule there. But this is something that was a big part of our, our conversation, and it really brought me back to our practice training as well um, that I did with um, with with Ox. Um, if you those of you that know Ox, um, he and I have been training together for several years now. Huge fan. He's a he's a real a real nerd when it comes. I always call him the mad scientist of of gunfight training because. He develops things that I've never seen anybody else do ever. Uh, it's really amazing stuff. Um, but the conversation we had this weekend was about block practice versus random practice. Okay. So just to give you some, uh, some, com some context here, block practice is where you are training one specific skill set for a fixed period of time. So for example, when it comes to, um, um, sticking with the bit, the basketball theme. All right. I'll, I'll give you, I'll give you some examples of this here going forward, but block practice is taking one single skill. So for when it comes to firearm training, like you're just going to practice your draw stroke. You're just going to reach down. You're going to practice your draw stroke, drawing your weapon, reholster it, draw your weapon, reholster it, draw your weapon, reholster it, draw your weapon. You're going to get this down because you're trying to get that muscle memory down so you can quickly draw your weapon. Now, random practice is where you're not practicing these blocks over a period of time but you're actually mixing up your training. So it might be going down, drawing your weapon, getting a sight picture, drawing your weapon, getting a sight picture. That's a very simple way that you're piecing just two things together. Now, there are multiple things that you need to do in that in the context of chaining those together. You need to know how to draw your or how to clear your clear your uh, your cover, your your clothing. I'm sorry about that. Sorry. Uh, clearing your clothing, getting a firm grip on the weapon, drawing it straight up. So there are steps to go that you have to go through in order to draw your weapon the right way, right? And then you're getting a sight picture in there. There's things you do for that. So there are different steps within there, but they can be done in blocks, right? Well, by chaining them together in random practice, now you're doing something a little bit different. Even if the random practice is you are drawing your weapon, you're getting a sight picture on different targets, okay? So it's not just that linear thinking like being down at the range. So block training down at the range, if you're if you're looking at just getting in like a tight shot group, what you're doing is you have the weapon up, you're looking at a, a paper target, it's not moving anywhere, it's seven yards away, you're getting your sight picture, you're slowly squeezing that trigger, bang, it goes off. 
you're taking your time again, bang, you see you might just be getting down block practice for with trigger squeeze, okay? So that's block training. Chaining them together, random training is where you are doing random things now and you are putting it together into one specific practice session. Now with block practice, you're going to develop skills very rapidly because you're doing the same thing over and over and over again. So think of the one day specific skill training session or even the weekend tactical course out there. By the end of that course, you're going to be amazed at your level of proficiency in that skill. But multiple, multiple studies have proven that this information is stored in the part of the brain that doesn't store the skills in long-term memory, especially since most people don't train regularly with that skill after they take those courses, okay? Now, I saw this degrade even for me when I went and took the center axis relock training with Jeff Johnsgaard, and after I left that course, I didn't keep up the training as much as I should have. And I noticed now that we're going back through the training in these, these long distance learnings that I'm making significantly um, critical mistakes in how I'm putting together those skills together. And I have to go back and retrain those. Whereas even if you just train five minutes each day with those skills, you start to put them in the long-term memory. Again, we go back to that shorter sessions, higher frequency is going to help to develop the long-term skills more than this block training, doing it all, getting in, I've got this skill down, you're amazed at your level of proficiency, and then all of a sudden you find you're not able to do it as easily when you try and come back to it a couple months later, right? So you want to make sure that you're incorporating random practice because this is what incorporates those elements of training um, all in one session that help tie these things together in the brain. Now, I'll, I'll talk specifically about why that is, but sticking with the basketball theme, all right, just to kind of drive this home, if you were to practice entire blocks of training and foul shots over and over and over again from the foul line, and then the same thing, you're going to practice jump shots from one spot over and over and over again, and then you practice right-handed layups over and over and over again. That's going to help you develop those skills. But then when you try to, and then when you try to piece these together in a game, right? So you just come right out of the starting block there. You, you, you piece these together in a basketball game. You're not going to be as successful as you would by mixing up these skills and, and training them in tandem in a more realistic scenario. For example, running and then quickly shooting a jump shot, faking one way and then going in for a layup. Or having to shoot only two free throws instead of a hundred at one time, but only shooting two free throws cold in a scrimmage practice with other players where the, the adrenaline rush is there because you've only got two shots and you're down by one, right? That's going to be more realistic training. Now this is, this uh, contributes better to long distance or long term learning. Um, because of how random training and training multiple skills at the same time, Creates long-term retention of the brain, not because it's just chained together, but by making problem-solving and situational reactions the connection for retention for retention in the brain. Because what it does is it forces your brain to first get hungry for those skills, as opposed to going through the motions of just doing a foul shot, doing a foul shot, doing a foul shot. Your brain becomes numb to it. It becomes muscle memory, but it's not making the, the brain hungry for that information as much as missing free throws in a game makes you hungry. Like now I need to develop that skill by incorporating that into the game or by incorporating these other skills as part of other skills that go in tandem with it. That is what connects the brain and engages it for long-term retention. Now that's not to say that block practice isn't beneficial for developing basic skills. You have to know how to shoot a jump shot. You have to know how to shoot a foul shot, how to shoot a, a layup. Likely, likewise, you need to know how to draw your weapon, 
right? You need to know how to clear a jam, et cetera, et cetera. These are foundational skills that are best done using short blocks of training. But there is a way, even as a beginner, to chain together your practice skills and be able to make them done in tandem, match, uh, do multiple skills at the same time. Now, this is something we really do cover in depth and give you something that you can take away actionable, like how to start to change your training in the class that we do with Ox with Praxis. Now, you can go to PraxisClass.com. That's P-R-A-X-I-S class.com praxisclass.com and you can go ahead and sign up for that class we are going to be redoing that class so we're going to be able to take people back through that and we attribute it also to real life gunfights so we actually analyze a gunfight and show how traditional training does not work in the capacity of making you more prepared for a defensive encounter when it comes to what really happens in a gunfight because most people are just not trained in the right way what Ox did was he shows how to train six different skills. Even if you're a complete beginner, you're able to get up to training six different skills all at the same time in one training session. So not only does this quickly get you to defensive level where you are at expert level, be able to defend yourself with a handgun, but it's going to, it's going to really short circuit your training every, it's going to allow you to train less with more effectiveness, with long-term retention. So that those skills are there for you instinctively at the time you need them the most. All right, now this is something that we, again, we show a real demonstration of this. We really analyze this in the masterclass. All you need to do is go on over to praxisclass.com. You can go ahead and get signed up there. We are going to be rerunning that class here. So make sure that you get signed up for that, okay? All right, so those are five tips that you can really put into action right now for your own uh, your own self-protection training with your handgun, no matter what level you are at, all right? So I want to hear from you also. So let me know what are you doing to be able to get to the next level in your own defensive handgun shooting training, all right? Go ahead and leave something in the comments there. Right now, we're still at ModernCombatAndSurvival.com. That is going to be changing, but don't worry. Everything is going to be transitioning over here very soon. Can't wait to, I just can't wait. I'm just so excited about getting this out to everybody for the new Warrior Life site that's coming up and the community that we're building. Can't wait to really show you what's happening here. Um, it's all coming right up, but until our next Modern Combat and Survival, which hopefully next week it'll be Warrior Life. I'm guessing it might not. It might be the one after that, but we are coming up with another session next week. So stay tuned for that. Until then, this is Jeff Anderson saying prepare, train, and survive. Modern Combat and Survival. Survival. We hope you've enjoyed the show. You can help us out by rating our podcast on iTunes and leaving a comment. You can check us out on Facebook at facebook.com backslash Modern Combat and Survival. And don't forget to claim your free subscription to Modern Combat and Survival magazine at www.moderncombatandsurvival.com. Lock and load. And we'll see you next time. This has been Modern Combat and Survival.